Alright, do it again. Alright, Autumn, say let's get it started. Let's go. Do you start it? <laughs> We are black men, we build, we don't tear down the other black men. We have felt the pain of being torn down and we have decided that we will be deliberate about building others. Man, that is so powerful. That is so powerful. I think one of my friends sent me this and now I gotta, I need to upload my picture and then continue the cycle by tagging some other people. Um, but this is dope, this is dope for real. Um, this is Black Composition, I'm your host, Ifaini Wanaro, and today our conversation it's going to be about um, about camera culture and how it's affected us as well as society. It's a very interesting topic. There's like so many layers to this, so I had to bring in a few different perspectives. So I brought in a few of my college homies, uh, Cameron as well as Gabe, and then um, I brought in a few older cats, um, <laughs> my uncle Lamont as well as Randall Flash. So it's this was a great conversation. So let's get it started. The whole world, 2020 has been crazy. Uh, we having you no know, COVID. We having uh, you know. I think a few months ago we were talking about World War Three, and now we talk. Now we <laughs> now we going through uh, issues right now with uh, with uh, accounts of people, of black men being murdered uh, by either uh, police officers or uh, vigil vigil So I know something that that has all in common is those all were videotapes. All those items, all those uh, actions were, were somebody had a camera and took record and recorded it. So I know in our culture today, we've been affected, you know, phones and everything. We got everybody can record, everybody can be uh, can uh, can be a, a news camera, if you could say, because we can upload everything on Twitter, upload everything on Snap, whatever social media platform we have. So. I think my first question is how has uh, how has cameras evolved and how you what's your take on the camera being the use of cameras and the use of uh, videos to uh, push in a, <laughs> to show these events I guess so go ahead whoever wants to start out the conversation yeah I mean I'll start I think you know part of this conversation stemmed from a conversation that we were having. Um, mm -hmm maybe about a week ago. And actually that flashing I had right before you and I spoke, literally minutes before, um, and just talking about, you know, how the ability to like hide behind anonymity has changed, um, you know, the rhetoric with police. And, uh, you know, I think before, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of the rhetoric that I remember before cell phones was oh the, like one popular one was the gun just went off. You know, that was a very common part of police testimony. And it was always something that was just quite ambiguous, but um, something that you'd hear all the time on the news. I remember growing up as a kid and they say, oh, you know, there was a, a scuffle and the gun went off. You know, um, I think, you know, now with the ability to have the visual element, you know, and for people to be able to self-broadcast and not have filter down news, um, it's, it's changed the conversation quite a bit. Like, I don't, I don't think that I, I recall any instances, you know, um, during this period where we've seen a gun just go off in cell phone footage. But back in the day, I mean, that was definitely one of the main things that was said. The gun went off, the suspect assaulted me, he resisted arrest, I saw a weapon, or, you know, a popular one these days is, I feared for my life. Um, so, you know, I think that it's definitely helped to play a role in, um, you know, being honest with what's going on. Hey, you're muted, y'all. You hear me now? <laughs> My bad. Yeah, My we bad. can hear you now. No, I know uh, nowadays, like, I know everybody, everyone can be, can record something. Like, we got, we got rings. Y'all know, like, the, the doorbells that have cameras on them. We got right. uh, phones. I know one thing I know because I'm like in our generation, what we're going through, everything can be recorded. So narratives aren't necessarily one sided. You have multiple, like whatever somebody says, you can't take their word for it anymore because now there's a camera. So I think, I think it's been a good thing. 
think it's not like I think this is a necess like it's a necessity, I guess, to have a camera because everybody has a different story. And most of the time the story goes for the person who shot the gun. The person who shot the uh who killed that person who who deserved to live. So I think that's one. So it's funny it's funny you say that. Uh there was a story and I can I can get the stats on it if you guys need to fact check it. There was a story I think three years ago about a gentleman in Pennsylvania mm -hmm. who the cop took him out of the car and had him on the ground and they were subduing him and they were beating him up. But from the dash cam of the cops, it looked as though they set him up in a place so it was ambiguous, as Lamont was saying. And the cops continued saying, stop resisting arrest, stop resisting arrest. And mm -hmm. they were punching him. What they mm -hmm. didn't know was that he also had a dash cam on his car. Mm -hmm. And so it caught some of the footage. And while they were saying that and looking around, a cop was moving as if to plant uh, some stuff on him to incriminate the gentleman further and was beating him up. But mm. if you were to just trust the footage that was put out by the police department or the camera that was on the cop's car, it tells a completely different story than the camera the gentleman had. Mm. And in fact, that sort of got him off because on top of beating him up, they were looking to accuse him of further crimes. Mm. So sort of the narrative versus the counter narrative and having that to watch the watchman is a very important tool. Mm. Watch the Watchmen. Who watches the Watchmen, man? Mm -hmm. Hey, do you want to go? Because I got like a, a pretty, I have a, nah, I have a, different, I have a different perspective. You know what I mean? So, go ahead. I'm really here to listen more than speak. You sure? Yeah. All right, bro. So first, uh, I just want to say that like I think it's kind of insane that individuals still depend on witnessing countless lifeless black bodies on their screens just to like believe that what we're uh, that what we've been saying is true mm -hmm. um so to dive into it i want to uh, talk about how i feel about life so you like better understand my perspective on uh i guess camera culture when it comes to injustice um so first i want to say i believe that the beginnings and ending of a life is such a like sacred and significant thing uh, it's the beginning of some. It's the beginning and ending of someone in like their existence um, as a being on this earth. So those moments are very significant to the person that's entering and leaving. So um, even when we see a baby born in the hospital, uh, only the medical staff, maybe the father or grandmother, is allowed in the room. While other loved ones must wait in the lobby. Um, mm -hmm. And I believe death is very similar in that regard. My, my brother, uh, I'm sorry. What's up? No, keep going. Keep going. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, so, like, God rest his soul, you know that you see that Kobe's family was upset when uh, images of the crash site um, emerged. And it's also, you see how close family and friends, maybe even a pastor may sit at a deathbed when someone is experiencing their final moments because it's like they're welcoming death in private. And when that's impinged upon, uh, I think it's just taken away from the person's exit from this earth. Uh, so when I see videos of someone's last moments, it kind of disturbs me personally because it's not normal to watch somebody die. Like, it's not, a, it's not a movie, it's not a show, you know, we're actually watching somebody die. And we've been doing it constantly. Um, and I understand that as someone who's removed from like violent neighborhoods or place where death is scarce, I realize that I'm privileged to like, privileged to, like have the option of whether or not I wanna watch someone uh, die. But even still, how many black bodies have we seen on our like phones? laptops tvs and how many more can we even stand to see like seeing someone full of life become inanimate pretty much you know what i mean uh but then i think to myself these black bodies have always been seen as inanimate or even insignificant to some um and the thing is i'm like really uncomfortable and concerned with uh the unlimited amount of access that we have to the privacy of other people's deaths um i don't think witnessing those moments is a privilege that belongs to us per se uh, mm -hmm. Like death is a pretty vulnerable time within someone's existence and vulnerability, any vulnerability for that matter is a sacred thing, but death, especially like even when someone shares private information about themselves or like a, a story of uh, back in the day, it's a very like personable, personal, personal and cherishable moment. And to see someone in their most valuable moment of life begging for breath and pleading for life, it can't be even normal to, it can't be normal or even respectful to continually replay and watch and reshare these videos. Um, but then that's when I have to ask myself, is our is our outrage and crying out valuable 
can it be seen as valuable at the expense of someone else's vulnerability? And personally, I believe that my final moments belong to myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand, I understand that us viewing these moments can potentially uh, shake the table and bring with them justice, uh, laws, actions. But at the same time, I feel that at the same time, a black individual, the way a black individual didn't ask to be killed, he also didn't ask for his death to be symbolic of a war cry. So he, he simply just asked for his life. But I'm also torn because I can admit that I'm glad these videos exist because they're proof that our deaths are not fictional. And I guess mm-hmm. that if we must die, uh, let us not die as uh, myths. Like, let, let our story not be a myth. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and what makes us human is our ability to share and empathize with other people's traumas. Um, but these videos do not need, I don't, how many videos do we need exactly. in order to have mm-hmm. sympathy? How many videos do we need in order to um, gain empathy for, for black lives? And if you need, if you need, if we need these many videos, um, without you believing that black lives are in danger what does that say about you so i ain't gonna lie i don't think black people have ever needed these videos for the most part because we already we already knew the stories like this isn't this isn't new this isn't a new conversation it's not a new story a new phenomenon like nothing about this is even relatively new but now we're just capturing it and get the hitting the video versions of it uh but i get that some individuals still need to see these bodies otherwise they believe that what we speak is uh, mythical. So I guess at least if you don't believe the words we speak, then I guess you could believe what the video shows. So that's like my take on it. Like I know uh, in the 60s, the, like, the <clears throat> media, they were used to show like African-Americans being sprayed with, like, with uh, water hoses by firemen and the police. These videos, I know, like, there's a thousand words in one picture. So like, I know, like, I know we, we need these to show our story and what's going on and to bring empathy from other people. But I think I agree totally with your point. Like how many of these do we need for something to happen? Right. Right. And I think people, I know we can see, we can test to all the protests that's going on today. I think people need like, like, you know, people looting target, people looting, like, going around. I think, like, people need, like, an outlet to, especially us, like, we need, like, people are using that as a way to invoke, I guess, change. I don't, like... Uh, I can interject. Yeah, interject. Um, So, I mean, uh, two things. There's one to the question and two to the looting. So, to the Mm -hmm. question, I think when it comes to, I guess, quote-unquote camera culture, I think it is a... There's two things, right? Um, Dr. Wesley Muhammad on The Breakfast Club talked about a victim psychology um, of how constantly seeing yourself lose puts you in that victim psychology because you're constantly seeing yourself defeated. So you're constantly approaching and looking at yourself as prey and looking at the enemy as predator. There's literally a power dynamic um, of abuse that you put yourself in, which influences the way that we approach problems, right? So one of the things that he talks about is um, when you lose, either you lose or you lose a bit of testosterone, which is uh, the, if you can imagine the feeling of when you play a sport or when you win a game, the, the, the drive or the surge that you feel. Imagine seeing us lose so many times, How what condition does that put us in as a people, right? So I think that that affects when it comes to camera uh, culture because once again, it influences how we approach the 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 converse not the conversation but the actual problem because another thing that camera culture shows is our lack of organization um and our abused psychology because if you look at a lot of these uh these riots and looting once again the the riots and looting isn't organized it's not like they're because people keep saying but a black lives matter protest turned into and or the riots are the Black Lives Matter protests. No, the nine times out of ten, the people that are actually rioting, um, or not nine times out of ten, but pro- probably ninety percent. And from actually witnessing it, ninety percent of the people that are rioting probably don't really give a damn about George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, or Black people. Um, they are in a state of emotion, and this is an excuse to go wild because we have one of the things that we suffer as a community is that we do not create save or distribute resources towards black people. Not all of us, but the majority of us only have inherited 
the uh, destruction of white supremacy. So we've inherited a behavior because we've lived under the system. And white supremacy has created foods that kill us, has created media that kills us, has created movies that kills us, music, has created various things that destroys us. But we only see the destruction. So we only inherit the destruction versus the actual process. So if you look at a lot of these protests, there's a lot of destruction coming from, uh, coming from them but there's no creating. Nobody's creating resources to pour mm -hmm. back into the community. They're only, and that's that victim psychology, because if you go to a lot of these protests, like the one in Columbus just now, people are screaming in the faces of the police. And then when the police put their hands on them, it's helped me. But there's no actual structure. There's no security to protect. And the, the mm -hmm. holding guns can look cute. But once again, there's a victim and an abuse psychology to where we're not approaching this from the standpoint of warfare or approaching this from the standpoint of citizenship and camera culture affects that because camera culture embeds an ideology uh, and similar to what Ruck said when it comes to just our lives mattering um, puts an ideology that promoting this is going to provide empathy when actually it provides plenty other traumatic emotions and yes it does help validate that our our deaths are real but why did it have to take george floyd dying for people to wake up if george floyd didn't happen none of these riots would have happened with ahmaud mm -hmm. arbery right um because people would have forgot about ahmaud arbery two weeks later and people might and this is a maybe because you know there's there's two theories that i have in my head that play back and forth and it depends it depends if this is the if this is the end game end game if the doomsday clock is here or if the doomsday clock is still playing um, but, you know, we have the situation where, you know, George Floyd just died and now people, you know, are enraged. Now people are looting the streets. And once again, if you look at the destruction, it's outwards um, mm -hmm. and we're not creating inwards. So, you know, these this camera culture has helped create responses, but it hasn't helped create solutions. Right. You know, um, and I guess that's my take on it. Mm -hmm. And I agree with what you said about the uh, when people perceive the riots as a protest, and I think me and Fine were talking about it. The these these riots are are riots are not protests at all. They're reactions. A reaction mm -hmm. is so much different because it's a it's a un, it's a it's a non cognitive response. You don't you don't mm -hmm. think out. You don't think of the the potential detriments that it could have. You don't think of the consequences. It's literally just a reaction. So. Um, yeah. yeah, I agree with you on that. Mm -hmm. I need, like, what you just said, too, about uh, we need to start coming up with solutions and stuff. I feel like people, they're at a point where they don't know what to do. Like, what I just said, it's just a reaction. So what are things, like, examples of what we can do uh, in, these, uh, in this time right now? I said I wouldn't talk a lot, but I definitely kind of have a response, but I want to open the floor up for, you know, other brothers to speak. Hey, bro, if you don't go ahead and speak your mind. Go, go, go ahead, bro. Go <laughs> um, ahead. So, so for me, when it comes to thinking about this situation, I don't think people, I think there's two. I think there's a piece of people don't know what to do, but I also think there's a piece of people aren't willing to lose for actual salvation and liberation. Because if you looked at if you looked at actual warfare, if you looked at actual things that were necessary to combat, because um, a gun isn't the only thing that is, people always view warfare as just guns and violence, mm -hmm. and guns aren't the only way wars are fought. Wars are very psychological, and we've been in a war throughout these entirety of years, so people didn't have to die to be affected. Being put in schools that teach you that, you, that your blackness is negative, like the test that um, Mammy Clark hosted in the past where they would give the black baby the black doll and the white doll and the black that which mm -hmm. one's bad which one's good and they'll pick the white that's psychological warfare right um, so once we start approaching this from a standpoint of warfare I think we'll actually get somewhere because then we'll actually once again what resources are going into our community if we were serious about these protests because one of the difference between the protests now and the protests back then is these are very unorganized. These are very unorganized, which is why, once again, we have this, they're going to get in the face of the police, um, and then the police are going to put their hands on them, and there's no response. And people talk about Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, but even if we talk about the, the 
the promoted civil rights movement, the nonviolent protests, there was training for that. Black people went through hell to train for the streets because there was a code of conduct that this is the purpose. So even today when I organized uh, the Brothers of Alpha, we discussed this is how we will respond because this is our goal. A lot of people are going out there just to emotionally express themselves, not with an actual goal or outcome. So if we're talking about organizing and solutions that need to be, that can be made, once again, it's not demanding for justice. Cause like I posted on my Instagram, if a burglar breaks into your house and you de- go to a bunch of burglars and demand justice uh, and, and to, for them to hold their uh, fellow accomplice accountable, at the end of the day, it's not saying that you deserve to be robbed, but you definitely do not deserve to have a house because you're not even working on protecting your house, developing ways to not be burglarized again. And what we keep doing is demanding justice from people, from burglars, instead of developing ways to defend our house. So when it comes to black women, black girls and boys are still getting trafficked at high levels. Why do we not have a a security system in our neighborhoods and the Panthers were that, but we know what happened. The thing is, we know what happened, but we haven't tried again to prepare, not tried again to do the same thing, but and even Tulsa, economic. So if we look at economic nationalism, if we were to actually have another Black Wall Street, the difference this time is you make sure that you have a Black security system because wars happen. And that's another thing we're not prepared for. We hold pictures with guns, but like the America has a military that nine times out of 10 isn't on our mm-hmm. side and is nine times out of 10 willing to sacrifice black people that would stand up if martial law was something that was to be implemented with us, right? So when it comes to solutions, who's building the schools in our communities? Who's looking to build like an actual city? Who's looking to actually purchase land? Who's looking to move us into independency to where we are dependent on ourselves because it's not just through voting, it's not just through the census, those are sit. Those are citizenship responses to warfare. Not saying those aren't valuable, but we're not approaching them from a warfare standpoint. We're not approaching them from a hey, we're all going to put our money or votes this way, or hey, we're going to create an individual party and everybody, every black person in the country is going to vote this way, right? We're not doing that. We're not organized enough to do that. So when it comes to those citizenship, it's trans, it's transferring from that. So like I asked, when it comes to certain solutions, who's creating schools? right? Um, Who's creating sources for us to be independent? And that's why I say we're not ready to lose. Like, we're not ready to lose. (laughs) Like, if we were actually to go into a civil war, we're not ready to lose our Wi-Fi. We're not ready to lose Instagram. We're not ready to lose these various different things that we would lose if we had to be independent against the government, right? You know, so we have yet to mobilize and strategize in that direction because we are afraid of that direction, um, which is where we should be heading and not be promoting, but we should be heading into a direction to where we're dependent. And the next time we see a police officer with their neck on a black man or a black woman, there are people in our neighborhood or there are people in that environment that not will just look at the police officer, will physically get them off of the person Because once again, we're out of that psychology of, oh, we're going to demand justice afterwards. We're going to post this and let the people know you have a responsibility to protecting your fellow black man or black woman. We're not there yet. We're not there yet because um, a lot of people, that's a lot of work for a lot of people. Protesting is easy. Um, Sitting down and organizing a protest with actual outcomes is hard. Sitting down and actually planning something for to uplift our community and to like to give back to our community is hard, right? So I, I don't want to go too long, but you know, when it comes to tangible solutions, it's start thinking in that direction um, of the state that we're in. It's uncomfortable, but if we want to actually provide a better world for our children, sacrifices need to be made. Um, so I, I, yeah, I agree with everything you just said, and I'm, but I'm all about practicality. So based off what you just said, what is the first step? Like, what is the first tangible actual step that we could take? Because theory is good and all. And not, not what you, uh, I'm not saying that what no, you just said was filled with theory, but what is the actual first step that you think we should take in order to progress? So I think it's, it, it depends. And I, because there's a lot of people and a lot of identities. If I'm talking about students, so my peers. So for me, I've dedicated my life to, and not everybody is, is about that. Not everybody has that, 
there are once again this is chess so there are pawns there are bishops there are knights there are castles not everybody's role is to be a castle not everybody's role is to be a knight there's some people that it's like yeah the protest is where they need to be um but we have too many pawns and a lot of our bishops knights and castles play both sides so when it comes to next steps and i would say with my peers that are students it is have you are you strategizing your life around liberation and I say liberation, not activism, not monetizing off of problems. Are you strategizing your life around liberation, actually liberating black people? So, for instance, and I'm not going to go into too much depth because that's a lot of uh, talking about plans and whatnot. But me as an engineer, like I chose engineer strategically because I wanted to innovate for black people. I wanted to learn the technical resources to innovate in basements, to organize like and build the resources that we talk about we need for black people. I didn't take the political route or the law route because I wanted to create versus altercate. Um, you know what I mean? That's, that was the direction I wanted to go in. So how are you thinking about your direction when it comes to your academics or your youth in terms of liberation? Right. So I think when it comes to first steps, start doing those planning, like what is your money going towards? What is your plan going towards? And it can go in various different directions, but I think the first direction it should go into is economics. You know, are you creating an economic standpoint that can provide you the resources? First and foremost, after economics, I think I would honestly propose getting security out the way. Like, are we actually building um, a black armed force? And that's black people that are trained, that are with responses and aren't just to show face. If they're showing face, they're putting their lives on the line. That's the difference. Like, it's not like people, like, cops are responding, like, violence begets violence. It's not that. Cops still aren't losing their lives. And I'm not proposing for a mass murder on police, um, but I'm proposing actually defending yourself and being about whatever life you claim to represent. Because if we do not um, actually defend ourselves physically, which we still don't out there, um, there will be no results. There will be no defense. We will be continue to be killed as prey versus killed as equals um, or killed as soldiers in the field. So I think there's economics, there's um, militant, like specifically militant, like military strategization as black people. Um, I think education is necessary. And then, or, and I actually the first step should be getting area, should be getting land, mm, owning that. land, Owning land. If you're able to own land, you're able to build a foundation that is private towards you. And your next steps will be figuring out how to work around the rules that society has established for your land. So what, how can you, that's where loopholes come in, right? Okay, I'm trying to build this school strictly for Black people. Okay, they say you can't build a school uh, that is based off a of race. Okay, I'm trying to build a school with people with these various different statistics that meet black people. And there's not a law for that. You Do you have legal backing? You know what I'm saying? So it's these certain things that are put in place. And I think if we're talking about a first step, owning land would be a first step. Um, and that's somewhere. If it's in America, it's in America. If it's not in America, it's not. But you have to, like, owning land so you can start building the area that you want. And in the midst of doing that, don't do what Black Wall Street did and just think that these people will leave you alone because they won't. They see you as a threat to their system. You're creating something that is a threat to their system. Make sure that you are militant and militarily strategized to defend yourselves, not just by yourself, organizing people, you know. So I think those will probably be my first two steps. Land, militant strategy, then you get into the economics and whatnot. But until you do that, you're just building up your your profession. So if you're in finance right now, bro, you're building up, how do I get my trades? How do I get my stuff right? I'm an engineer. What resources? I'm trying to do electrical engineering. What skills? How do I create electricity? How do I manifest all of these technological things? You know what I'm saying? So once again, a bit long-winded, but to answer your question, like I think those are directions you should like consider when we're talking about the conversation of first steps. Um, if possible, I just wanted to say a few things. I Gabriel, I totally think I like your direction. Um, I can tell you put a lot of thought into this. Um, I'm more into the arts for my field yes, of study. Yes, uh, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I was you, agreeing you with you. Yeah. Um, and so one thing that I think we've missed 
Um, and I think everything you're saying is important, but it's the meat as opposed to the milk. I think we have to address the black psyche. Um, facts, facts. And I think, just like with money, one of the things I learned, because coming up as a young man, I have been very poor with how I manage my funds. I had to relearn that. But as I was learning that lesson, I also learned that a lot of our money goes backwards before it goes forward. Facts. So a lot of what we're talking about and sort of agreeing with Ruck, we're moving from theory to actionable things that we can do. But we have to get people on board. And something that I've noticed, it takes the famine for me to see you as brother. But during feast, you're just some other nigga. Mm. And so moving from that mentality, um, I think is one of the biggest hurdles to sort of lap, to sort of get over. How can I see you as my brother without it being on the seven o'clock news or on right. Facebook right. or somewhere mm. else? How can That's, I love you? Mm. How can I edify you? How can I build with you? What is our take on the black nuclear family? How do we disseminate values? So these steps are very important as we build to where you're going. You are a strong man, but we need more strong men. The That's army will not just be one. So how do we build this up? And so, like I said, I think it's taking a step backward and realizing that we have to build up young men who are, who are trying to lead. We have to sort of mobilize, but it's also an emancipation of the mental slavery that's been put on mm, put upon us. Indeed. Um, I told you I'm into the arts. I do a lot of poetry writing, and um, which is awesome. I think that's great. And I, I think we need to push for these things. In April, before anything was popping off, I actually wanted to do an art symposium here at the place where I live. I told roommate about Lamont, LW about it. I told him about it. Um, and what I did today before we got on this call, I shared some of my poems with him. Um, this all has a point what I'm saying right now. And I noticed that each of my poems were time stamped and they talked about our plight. And it felt as though I could have written it yesterday. Some poems were four years old, some were eight years old. It seemed like I could have written it yesterday. And so with all of these brilliant minds and all these great men who have come before us and are currently there now, why are we in this rut that we only see each other or feel for each other or are empathetic during the famine? How can we answer that point first? And through that love and that understanding, now we can talk about building. But first, can, go, yeah, please, I'll stop talking. No, you're, you're completely, um, there was a post actually that talked about uh, how, after the, um, that my, my brother and my friend posted talking about, you know, after we take the streets, um, what actions do we do that are actually sustainable? And after we take the streaks, uh, or after we hurt, how do we heal, right? So I think that that mental component that you're talking about, that internal, that spiritual and emotional component is very important. However, I don't think mo both uh, are mutually exclusive, right? So if you're building land, uh, I think there's a self-accountability part with it. So I think when you're with, with the steps you're talking about, it's self first. So in the art of war, um by Sun Tzu he has a quote about knowing your enemy and what I, what I, I want to build upon this because he says uh if you know the enemy and you know yourself you need not fear the result of a hundred battles if you know yourself but not the enemy for every victory gained you will also suffer a defeat if you neither know the enemy nor yourself you will succumb in every battle so I want to focus on that know yourself because you know when it comes to me and I would say my, my form of leadership, I, I didn't like the limelight, but I've learned to embrace it because it can impact other people. And I realized I used to negate it out of a certain insecurity that it, it, it took a light. Right. When it, it when once again, uh, you know, I forgot the quote, but, you know, your light uh, brightens others. It doesn't, you know, darken them. Right. So I think when it comes to the what you're talking about, I think that's very internal. So is the person that's working. So for instance, me, when it comes to the area that I'm working on and the things that I'm working on, I'm also spiritually working on myself, right? And if I'm spiritually working on myself and emotionally working on myself and healing with this psychology, the things that I build will manifest that as well. So if I'm investing in land, I'm investing in land with a purpose that will provide this level of healing for others as well. So I think we can't ignore that healing that you're talking about but I don't think you can't do both in tandem. I just think that you have to incorporate, you have to make sure that you as an individual are constantly working on yourself, 
while you're working on building this system because you can't wait. Wisdom comes from experience. You can't wait till you're 65 and know it all. And then now let me start building, right? You know, you're going to be learning along the process, building along the process. And on that route, you're working with, you're connecting with the energy that you attract. Hopefully that energy is a mirror of you. And if it's not, you should have the emotional or spiritual dissonance to be able to disconnect from that. So um, that's a bit of theory, but, um, you know. Well, and I, I hear you. Um, and I don't want this to just be the two of us talking on this. So facts, I'll, I'll drop facts. it after this. But um, Same. everything you're saying makes perfect sense. And I second it. But that has not been my total experience with how the African-American diaspora moves. Mm-hmm. So it sounds good. And it, it is... I guess the high leverage, normal way if things were to go as we intend them to go, that you would do. You build as you learn, you grow, you pay attention, you have your set of goals, you work towards them, set a new set of goals. Unfortunately, there is just so much in terms of brokenness and wounds. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of leaders who speak as you do right now. So that's why I'm saying we need to sort of clean house, start from the bottom up. Building as we go, I totally am with you. But I think, like I said, it takes periods of strife for us to be like, man, this reminds me of Eric Gardner. Like it is rare, at least from my slice of the world, and I'm not speaking for everyone, but it's rare that everyone is on the pulse until the pain hits. Fact, fact, and and once again, another quote, or basically what I was saying earlier was, you know, once again, we, we have adopted this employee nine to five mindset of black people to where you only clock in when there's an alarm. Versus, which is why it's like, for me, I haven't been as enraged. Am I upset? Yes, but I've already been working from this my sophomore year of college. I cried all my tears my sophomore year of college and went into a state of isolation. But since then, in working on healing myself, I've been working on the betterment of the community. So I think that for me, to what you're saying, um, I think the difference is I don't talk a lot. I don't Mm. post a lot. I really channel that energy towards the work. That doesn't mean I don't work on myself and I don't have philosophies that I write down. I did a takeover these past five days because I felt it was necessary to share my thoughts on the recent chain of events. But I, I put that energy towards a five-day span because that time also takes away from the work, right? So I think that for me, I don't, I'm not big on, somebody just posted like, are we finally ready to have this conversation? And I commented like, um, I'm past the conversation, brother. Um, I'm worried about the work. Right. So I think that you're completely right. It's not the state of black people, which is why I'm not necessarily, hey, let me go and try and talk to these people and convince you of what to do. Will I provide solutions if I have the platform? Yes. But if you do not take them, that will not stop my work because there will be people that are influenced and not everything has to start from a vast uh, national movement some things a lot of things start from the ground because once again if you look at certain areas like tulsa Mm. tulsa is tulsa oklahoma it wasn't like it was the entirety of oklahoma it was tulsa oklahoma and that one community was burned and massacred to the ground and looted right so for me it's not you have to have this i'm i'm not really big on the speech i'm not really big on the hey we should do this hey we should do this i'm big on the what am I doing? Am I doing that? And then once I get to that area, sharing the results. And once again, my biggest concern is the doomsday clock. Um, the doomsday clock that white supremacy has on black people will always be my biggest concern um, for that because this is 2020 and the fact that all these are happening on this year, I don't find as a coincidence. Um, I really don't. So um, yeah, to your point, man, you're completely right about the state of, and I, I've had in attended some of these protests, I've been able to psychologically observe, like, man, yo, like, seriously? You know what I'm saying? But it doesn't discourage me. It motivates me to get my work done because it's necessary and it's absent, right? Versus, mm-hmm. like, we ain't ready for it. You, you know what I'm saying? Um, I don't know if we can necessarily approach that with that mindset, but your perspective is extremely valuable, brother extremely valuable well and and so last thing i'll say about it i think it's very micro and macro like yeah yeah i I feel as though what i'm saying i feel like we're agreeing in many ways and um you're you're the ubermensch of this you're like what you're building towards is what i wish we would all build towards you get what Mm -hmm. i'm saying but unfortunately we don't see ourselves as supermen we don't see ourselves going in that direction and so the empowerment as we build is very important so i totally second what you're doing um, and I think that's great. 
Um, but I'm also gonna be real quiet now because I've been talking. Yeah, yeah. Let's 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 chill real quick. Is a ball pass the ball. <laughs> hey, um, if I if I can say something here, um, I mean this is a big, 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 big issue. You know, big. I mean, 400 years of slavery, big. And now the aftermath of that, you know, blacks in America, blacks around the world, because slavery just wasn't here. It just wasn't us, you know. So to use Flash's concept, what he just mentioned, the idea of macro and micro. So when you have, when you're talking macro, you're talking grand scale, very large. And when you're talking micro, you're talking something very small. But when you have a very small chunk of something very big, it's still pretty big. And I think in situations like this, like we, in order for us to even build towards something macro, like we have to start at the nano level, which is just, you know, smaller, more manageable bites. Um, I think it's great to have, you know, vision and to be a Dr. King and have, you know, very high, very high level goals. But what are the tactics that we can focus on to reach those goals? You know, Um, everybody isn't a king. Everybody Facts. is an executive. Facts. Most people are executives. Most people aren't leaders. Most people aren't CEOs. Most people are nine to five people. Right. You know, whether we're whether we're talking just from a you know, from a socioeconomical standpoint, and we're also just talking just from a personality standpoint. Everybody's not the type A leader who's gonna go out. So I think um, in order for us to really execute change, like we need to really simplify this to a nano level, granular. Like what are what are small things that we can do that the people can digest? The people can't digest the steak right now. We babies out here, you know? So like, what, what, what can we do? Like feed us some pudding, you know? Because some of these like really high level concepts, people are just, they'll just glaze over. You know, can, like- uh, Sorry, sorry, Yeah, like I, I completely agree with the, you know, we need to build, we need land and property and those things like as a community. And those are for a lot of people, especially in our community, that's a fairly grand idea, but it's like, I think a more powerful conversation right now, especially in this moment is like, what can I do today? Like what are bite-sized things that can lead toward those great and grand things, but at a granular level that we can do today? so I don't know if y'all have any thoughts on that, but like, how can we just like boil this down to something simple? Tactics. I, I want to uh, ask your question again. I just wanted to respond to one thing. Um, you know, I, I think both of the points that you you know you two bring up is like they're not. Once again, I don't think they're mutually exclusive, um, and I do think they have a place as well because like you're preaching a word. Like not everybody. It, like that's why I said like even looking at you look at chess like you know um the only game that really every piece has the same ability is checkers but we're not playing checkers right we're playing chess and i believe that you know there are people that may not have that the ability to move like a bishop or the ability to move like a knight or move like a castle and we need to work with them as well but i don't think that stops you from doing the work of purchasing the land that doesn't mean you have to tell everybody else and that's because that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying like everybody if we but we have too many pawns. And if you are already thinking in this dynamic of that, then you're not one. And you need to start working on the actual um, on the actual plan, because what will happen is a lot of people that um, don't fit into the quote unquote pawn narrative. And it's not to put a hierarchy. It's just a different level of consciousness or consciousness or thought. Um, but a lot of people that don't fit into that narrative will be insecure because there's not a lot of people that do think like that. Right. So it's like, am I right for not attending this protest when there's other work that needs to be done? And that's why I think there's value to what you're saying. And I want to re-ask that question. Like what could we do for people that people will be able to digest while we're also doing the grand work. Because I don't think you can not, I don't think you have to leave the grand work, but I definitely think you could start guiding people in a small direction, which is just good leadership in general before it's like, hey, you can invest in this. You know, that's basic training um, when it comes to just leadership development, right? So, um, you know, I just wanted to say that to that point, I don't think they're mutually exclusive, but it does have value and we do need to answer that question. So 
Um, I'll pass yeah, that back out. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, you know, on a grand level, I think we're all we're here and we're having this conversation. And I consider myself to be a leader. You know, so I don't necessarily I'm not here to speak. My goal here in this conversation isn't necessarily to to speak on grand things. It's to speak to the people who are listening, you know, and, and everybody's on the playing field, you know, so whether you're a king or whether you're a pawn, you're, you're listening to the conversation, you know, so we hear, we hear the grand things all the time, but I think most of the, there, there are more people who are working at a granular level than there are CEOs, executives, kings, just period, just statistically, there are more people. So like, what can we do to empower those people? It's like taking self aside. Like I have my plans. I have my plans for real estate and property and all of those things. You know, those are things that I'm currently working on. I'm, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm doing my thing, which is great. Um, but like, how can, how can we teach people? Like that's, that's part of the, I want to use our brain power today to, to, to really think on some ways, like what can we do at a granular, at a small level to dial things down and say, this is something that we can do today. I think, I think one like small thing is just to tell like your kids, like how, if you have, if you have any children or anybody young, like how special and beautiful that they are. It's the, I think, I mm. think in society, I think there are lots of Kings bishops, but every like people are conditioned to be a pawn. I know uh, me, and Ruck, me and Ruck, we were having a conversation about leadership, we didn't view ourselves as leaders, like coming into college. You know what I mean? Like we just came in, like we're just this person, but we have attributes to us that can be used for a grander purpose. And yeah, I think absolutely. in our society, uh, we want to be trendy, but not timeless. You know what I mean? Because I think when you add purpose into something, you make it timeless where it can go past, not just 2020, you can go 2040, 2045. Like I know a quote Gabe told me once was, uh, some people like some people living in 2045 right now, like they have a goal and aspirations to get somewhere, but some people they can only live in that moment. And I think we need to just from a small, like just telling kids like you're loved, you're special, like this thing on the news, that's not you, who you are is something that is beautiful and nobody else, like you're, you're unique in who you are. That's a small thing. I'm, I'm honestly a teacher. I know every day she tries to instill that to kids who may not have that in their lives, who may not have somebody helping them out or somebody who's encouraging them to be this, to be an engineer, to be this or be that. And I think there's so many people with something like, you know, the stories, like this person, all this talent, but they weren't able to, uh, they were in the wrong environment. So they weren't able to eventually bear fruit. They weren't able to do something that they could have done. So I think we just need to get out of that conditioning. I think it starts young, like reading books, something that can give, plant somebody in their, uh, plant a seed in their head. So when they get older, they're able to bear fruit and to work on uh, those things. I know, cause I know in life, like we're just practicing. And nobody really knows. Every single thing that you do, everything you did as a little kid, that brought to where, that brought you to where you are today. And not everybody knows directly how to use that skill set or even know what their skill set is. I think the main thing is finding purpose. And when we find our purpose, we're able to go and move in a way that will be impactful. So that's a, does anyone else have any thoughts? Hey, um, I'll, I'll be real quick because I want to hear what Ruck has to say uh, in a little bit because we all been talking. Um, but I really appreciate you saying that. And I appreciate you saying that while me viewing you as a young man coming up. Because what you just did was give me a lot of hope. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know I'm not that much older than y'all, but just to hear that, that just, that makes me really happy. Uh, the second thing I would like to say is this. In my ire and my anger, as I've been going through this, like I said, going through my process, looking at my poems from the past, everything I've been doing, working still, I took some time, I think it was on Thursday, and I was like, so what is going right? What have been the things that heal me as I go through some of these processes, right? And man, I just thought back to the 90s and some of the bastions when I was a little kid coming up that held me down, whether it was church, you know, that community, whether it was going to a barber shop, whether it was being clowned by my boys when I played ball. Like, I started to think about those things and about 
my black family, about all of us. There's something about empowering people, whether it is the game of chess that we're talking about. You know, a pawn could win the game. You get what I'm saying? It depends mm -hmm. on how you play it. There's mm -hmm. something about empowering people that is often missed, that is often put to the side. We have a visceral response. We don't have the mobility. We're, we're upset. We have certain emotions that we haven't really processed. And so they come out in a certain way after years of sweeping them under the rug. But it's rare to see on a high level that we empower each other, that we say we love each other, that we look out for each other. Um, the moments where it happens is transformative, but outside of that, it seems few and far between. And I think to what Lamont was saying earlier and sort of what Gabe brought up, the small steps, right? That nano, that, yo, I love you, bro. Or you know what, you a smart young man, or this is a really great endeavor that you guys are undertaking. Hearing that, not only just knowing it, but hearing that sort of gets that engine revving a little bit and it needs to happen more. So from the low to the high, we have to build each other up. We need to talk. We need to communicate. We need to have goals. We need to set them. We have to be in 2045, like you guys said. But every day I interact with you, outside of clowning you or the jokes or whatever else, you got to know that I care. Um, and we have to care about the situation together. And now I'm going to shut up. Ruck, please say something. Got you, bro. Yeah, so uh, what I'm going to say that we need is knowledge of history. And I say this because... When we look back, when we look back at history, we could uh, take things that happened that we don't want to happen again. We could take things from history that have happened that we want to make happen again. Um, and when we look back, we're looking at humans. So what that's what that means is we can do the same things that were performed in the past. Nothing is nothing is uh, infeasible um, just because it seems like we're in a more difficult time, which we're not at all. Um, yeah, I believe knowledge, knowledge will, will take us a long way. I appreciate y'all for tuning in to Black Composition. This is your host, Ifani. I want y'all to remember to always write your own story and don't let anybody write it for you. Stay safe.